Good morning, class. Sunday, February 23rd. We are uh, in Romans 5 to 8, the reign of life. We're actually spending time looking at Paul the man and everything we know from Scripture about what shaped him. It's so interesting to think about, because uh, you're going to be reading the product of his mind, his heart, his experience, his conversion, his walk with the Lord, his passion, his convictions. And why that's all relevant is because we believe in the organic theory of inspiration. We don't believe that when the prophets in the Old Testament or Moses or Luke writing his gospel or Paul or whoever, we don't believe in the dictation theory that somehow scripture came, they went into a trance and the Holy Spirit (coughs) moved their fingers and that rolled off the typewriter. I'm showing my age there, aren't I? we don't believe in the dictation theory of inspiration. We believe in the organic theory. And that is, God, Scripture is confluent. It's a product of two things, like Jesus, fully human, fully divine. Scripture is fully divine, fully human. And the organic theory of inspiration is that God uses that person, who he is, his experiences, which is why we're sort of taking this extra time before we get into the text to understand the life of Paul, the things that shaped him. Uh, we'll find Paul sarcastic in some of his writing. Uh, those of you familiar with his writing know that. He probably was sar- sarcastic as a Pharisee. He's a bright guy. He's a brilliant guy. This is probably the most intellectually, well, Hebrews is too, but he was a bright guy before he was converted. He's a bright guy after. So some of that's a review from last week. But, and, and don't forget that what God does is he reveals to the human author who is inspired so that what's produced, we believe by faith, is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. And what is it we need by the Holy Spirit as we come to the Scriptures? We need, it begins with I, we need illumination. We need the Holy Spirit to turn the light on to help us understand the Scriptures. But the point is, in the case of all the Scriptures, they're the result of God, the Holy Spirit, Revealing in the heart and mind of the human receptor, that person is inspired, and we need illumination to understand it. So we'll never get the scriptures apart from the Holy Spirit. To that end, let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, my, uh, our God and our Lord, our Father, our Savior. Thank you for the scriptures, that you're a God who longs to be known. You want us to know how much you love us. And you've given us this word, the eternal word of God, uh, to to, uh, impart to that end, that we might grow in respect to our salvation, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, uh, feeding ourselves on the pure milk of the word of God. Thank you for it. Thank you for your servant, Paul. Thanks for the passages we have that he's written that are in Acts that tell us about him. And uh, we ask now, as we have an opportunity to make observations together, you'll use this time to mature us into the image of Jesus, to fill our hearts with hope, confidence, humility, peace, grace, hunger for truth, and uh, uh, desperate for your grace, and then servants in this poor and dark and needy world that as a result of our feeding in your presence, we would be salt and light. You'd send us forth to a world in need of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. We are uh, under C, getting to chapter 5. I promise. 
We're under number one, overview of Romans. We're looking at the author, Paul. We're answering the question, what do we know about him? And I, we, I believe we are down to his reputation. Unless I have a corrector. Where's Joan Kathy? Joan Kathy, you're late. I'm late. I'm just kidding. I left my homework in the car. You're forgiven. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're starting with Paul's reputation in 2 Corinthians 10.10. Who would read that for us? For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Thank you, Frank. Who's the they? It's the super apostles in Corinth that really, really got under Paul's skin. They said in order to follow a man, a pastor, a spiritual leader, he has to be flashy, polished, articulate, and demanding. He demands recommendations from you of his ministry. He, he demands funds from you so that he can keep going. Does this sound like some certain things in our culture? I won't name such. You can decide for yourselves. But he really, really uh, was irked by these people. And he's telling us how they viewed him. They acknowledge his letters are weighty, but you can almost hear a sneer under that, right? His letters are weighty. It kind of like, what good is that? And where do they go to focus? His physical presence is unimpressive. He's not flashy. He doesn't look good in a suit. Da, 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 da. And his speech contemptible. This may be an allusion to the fact that <clears throat> perhaps Paul had a speech impediment, <clears throat> which would be a major challenge for somebody who did what? A lot of public speaking. <laughs> it could also be from Galatians that he had an eye issue. Uh, he talks there about their love for him uh, d- demonstrated and their willingness to pluck out their own eyes for him. And suppose he had an eye issue. It made things hard to read and maybe it was unsightly. So this isn't good for a public speaker, right? He's not very physically impressive. He probably has a speech impediment. So who cares if his letters are weighty? We want flash in person. So that's the backdrop against which he says this. You want to make any thoughts, comments, observations about that? Is it relevant for our day? Chad? Could I just ask a half question, half comment? When we look at pastors and who we want to lead the churches, we're giving the charges to incoming pastors and what people expect sometimes, either congregations versus what scripture says they are being. Good. Well, elaborate. This is very helpful because we are a church in search of a full time pastor. Counsel us as one who is an ordained PCA minister. Chad is a chaplain in the United States military, an ordained PCA uh, minister serving the Air Force. Yes. So counsel us, if you would. You have a unique perspective to speak into this situation. Search committee members, raise your hand. They're especially listening. So counsel us, brother. <laughs> what that I may. No. Just, uh, some of these churches of which we've been privileged to be a part as they're going through that it's, it's interesting how we uh, 
First America 316, the pastor must have charisma, know how to do spreadsheets, and cast an awesome vision. That's what Timothy and Titus say the pastor is supposed to be. Yes. Good. And that those passages are focused almost exclusively on character. And because of his character, reputation. So just a sidebar, yesterday in Proverbs was Proverbs 22, and it began, um, a good name is desired, better to be desired than riches. And I asked the Lord to protect my reputation for his glory's sake. Because a rumor could start about me. Somebody could start a rumor. And, yeah, obviously, completely untrue, but when that gets out there, ideas take root in people's minds, and it can ruin a ministry. And I just ask God for his glory's sake uh, to, to preserve my name in that way. And, and uh, Now, if it's my own fault, that's one thing. But anyway, so thank you. And anything else for our, yeah. So most search committees want Jesus. He is in heaven. He's praying constantly for the man you will call because that man is weak and frail and nothing apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. And let's hope he knows that. He is absolutely nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. And everything empowered by the Holy Spirit, just as you are. Okay. Paul's reputation. Any other? Thank you, Chad. Any other thoughts on that? So we're going to look at Paul's sacrifice. And let's, let's turn to... Sorry, I lost my spot. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 12. We're going to see how... He personally sacrificed, and what it, what is the, would be the ultimate mode of driving this, ultimate mode of driving his way of living sacrificially? You tell me. What would he tell us? Living sacrificially is ultimately motivated by? Michelle. Hi, Sarah. That's okay. This, what's that, Frank? What is his heart in the grip of? What sacrifice? Christ sacrificed for him. Never getting over the fact of what he suffered to make a wretch his treasure. So that it translates out into the way he lived. Who would read for us? <clears throat> Others share this rightful claim on you. Do not we even more? So keep just keep going with one or two more verses. Oh, okay. um, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering. That's good, Jim Kathy, thank you. So, what is Paul entitled to as a, as it were, professional missionary? What's he entitled to? Compensation, paycheck. The priests got their pay from the people that brought their sacrifices in. He's acknowledging that. He chose to forego that. For what reason, according to the text? So that it could never, ever be mistaken that he was in it for the money. 
No, I could be mistaken for that because I get a paycheck. But to forgo any ounce of suspicion that this guy's in it for the money. He forgoes that, as we said last week, he goes to town, he, he finds where the tent, tents are being made, he works as a tent maker, so that someone could say, the only thing your life is about is uh, the gospel. And this is a sacrifice for him. Do you think he'd rather spend all day doing ministry versus making tents? Probably, humanly speaking. But, but there was a, a greater goal that trumped that one. This is, this is a sacrifice. Good. Any other comments as we move on to his determination? Acts 21.13. So Paul's headed, headed back to Jerusalem. He's met with some believers. Agabus the prophet has come in and taken a belt and bound it and said, when you get to Jerusalem, this is what they're going to do to you. And what does everybody naturally begin to do? Plead with them. Don't go. Come on. Avoid trouble, for goodness sakes. <laughs> right? And how does he respond? Who's got it for us? And Paul, answer, and Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so what's driving him? What's his ultimate determination? The name of the Lord. name of the Lord. Translated? I mean, he could have filled in a lot of different things in that blank, but the name of the Lord, it's what, how would you translate that? Wow, Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem to die. Same for, oh, wow, yes. This is in Paul, this same attitude like Jesus. And uh, so he's willing to die. And uh, you'd find the reason for that when we looked at last week, back in Acts 20, when with the Ephesian elders, he says, I do not consider my life as own, as any account is dear to myself, that I may finish my course. So he didn't, he, he didn't see himself as his own. He belonged to Jesus. And therefore, Jesus can do what? Whatever he wants with his life. And if that means martyred in Jerusalem under the or then so be it. So be it. Now is, he, is that a place of freedom? That's just tremendous freedom. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're either there or we're what are we doing? I'm trying to work it ourselves. Okay. Protecting, defending, promoting. I have a feeling he'd been delivered from those things, by and large. Belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I hope you're convinced of that by the time noon rolls around when we look at the doctrine of election in the sermon today. Um, sacrifice, determination, his zeal. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Anybody tell us the major theme of this whole chapter is 1 Corinthians 15. The most thorough defense of the resurrection. He begins, he begins by talking about uh, preaching the gospel to them. And then he gets a little autobiographical in verse 8. Somebody read beginning at verse 8 through 10 for us. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Thank you, Terry. 
So what are the two strikes against Paul, humanly speaking, that would make him lesser of an apostle? What are his two strikes? What's the first thing he mentions? It's temporal. I wasn't around Galilee when Jesus walked by the sea and called his disciples. I wasn't there. I was doing something else. So I'm sort of born in a different place at a different time. Okay? Nonetheless, we know that he is called as an apostle. His second advantage is disadvantage to being esteemed as, right? What's his second disadvantage? He persecuted the church. Persecuted the church. This is a major problem early on, right? The man that wants, now wants to what? That, so there was all this tension and struggle. So two strikes against him. And what is the thing that overcomes those according to these verses for Paul? The grace of God. What did the grace of God do in Paul? It motivated him to work. And his estimation of that work is what? Compared to the other 12. And this is kind of bold. What does he say about his work? It's more. He does more. Is this boast? Is this prideful boasting? No, I think it comes from the same place where he says, "I'm the chief of sinners." When you've done something that you feel really bad about, and you want to work to overcome that, um, you can see that in a way where you look at other people and you say, "They didn't have to overcome that." I'm not sure if you want to call it necessarily it was that way. It wasn't felt that way. So now you're saying these really function for him existentially to to make him a very diligent man. Motivated. I've got something. That, go ahead, Frank. It was fuel. It was fuel. Good. And the fuel was, in him, was the grace of God. So this, this incredibly fine line where you embrace your gifts and who you are. You're not a worm. You're a trophy of the Lord Jesus Christ, a saint. You're the beloved of the Lord. You are really something important. And you've been given gifts. And if those gifts have been fruitful, thank the Lord. In Paul's life, more than the other guys. And yet, and here's the fine line, and yet what? Not me, the grace of God in me. So what is he rescuing us from? What sort of two extremes? What is he trying to, he's striking this incredible balance. What two extremes does he want to rescue us from? On the one hand, But what, anybody, can anybody track? With, no, you're not tracking with me, Catherine. Not tracking with me. Okay. Well, on the one hand, it would be trying to save yourself. I'm not sure what's on the other hand. Okay. So, being proud, prideful, arrogant—that I've done this for the Lord. Look at me. Because right when we stand before the throne, what are we going to do? He's going to crown us, and we're going to take those crowns and. Throw them at his feet. On the, on the one hand, it's pride and arrogance and thinking more of ourselves than we should. On the other, thinking so little of ourselves that we're not very useful for the Lord. We're stuck in this thing over here and that's, no, he's filled us with the Spirit to use us, to make us effective and powerful. So, right? Okay. I think it, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I think there's an application of he who is forgiven much loves much. Okay. So he recognizes the what he's doing and the severity of that, so that motivates him to do more. 
Good. Wonderful, Nate. Thank you. Frank? And uh, just to kind of nuance a little bit, uh, I, I think it's, it's not arrogance in his own work as much as um, he's, he's so joyful that the Lord has used him. So he's just an instrument. He feels like he's a tool in the hands of God. Yes. And that brings him a lot of joy. Yes. A joy to be an instrument in God's hand. Can you experience the same? Yeah. yeah. Should you? Yeah. yeah. Both in your earthly calling, administrator, teacher, chemist, janitor, doctor, that, whatever it is, in your earthly calling, because that's from God, and in the use of your spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. There is joy, satisfaction to be had in those things. Well, we could keep pressing that. Good. Thank you. All right. We're down now. That's a zeal. His life worthy of imitation. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Somebody then find Philippians 3.17 for us. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Thank you, Janice. The pattern is, what is Paul doing? He is he's modeling Jesus. Grace, humility, love for God, faithfulness. Latin, no sloth, etc. And he's saying, as I model Jesus, you model this. Right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are there going to probably be ways, if he had time to have coffee with me, he'd say, look, I don't always imitate Jesus in this way. Would, he, would that be part of his life? Did he struggle with sin? Well, I think every believer struggles with sin, with involving sin. Yeah. Okay, and then how about the Philippians 3 passage? Brothers, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern of God in us. Great. Follow my example. Um, how, how many of us want to say that? How many of us think that way? I want to live a life worthy of imitation. I Nate? You have to if you have oh, my goodness. They're constantly watching. Yes. So you, you, sometimes you don't become aware of it until. They really start imitating you like you're driving and they're sitting in the back seat and they sound just like you sound barking at other drivers. It's like, oh, no, they really are listening. <laughs> or you drive with them and they're doing the same thing you did. They watched you model it. Oh, heaven, heaven, help. Okay. Let's go on to modus operandi. What's, how does Paul go about it? His, his ministry. 1 Corinthians 9. 19 to 23. Yeah. He would start in 19 for us there. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one, one under the law, though I myself am not so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak. To the, to this, I, I become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Thanks, Terry. Ah, that's just breathtaking, isn't it? 
So what is his fundamental attitude about himself? What's the word that captures it? I am a servant or slave to all. I exist for your sake. That's what slaves, servants always have their eyes on the needs of their masters, not on themselves. They're ready to jump up and serve their people's needs. What is the goal of that? The purpose? To bring God, God glory. Bring God glory, but what's the specific fruit of serving that? He wants them to be what? Saved. I might win them. Now, he says that I might by all means save some. He He knows he doesn't save people. He knows Jesus saves people. But he uses human instruments who act a certain way. They really see themselves as servants. Tells us something about the, the attitude with which we do evangelism. Am I really a servant to the person I'm sharing with? Or do I think I'm better than them, know more than them? I might know more than them. You've got to kind of hide that fact, maybe. But, and so what's the strategy in the midst of it? How, what, how does he bring that to pass? What's he thinking? Here's this person who's different than me. Jew with, Jew with the law, Gentile without the law, whatever it is, the wheat. What, how do I want to, what do I do? I enter into their their world, their way of thinking. I become like them. What is that? And what's the net effect of that as he's bridging this relationship? What's the net effect? It draws them in. Oh, this guy gets me. He gets me. Now, Paul can get Jews because he was raised as one. How does Paul get the way Gentiles think? How do you think he understood how Gentiles think? Okay. He saw Gentiles. He knew Gentiles. How do your unsaved neighbors think about things? What's the one way you can find out? You ask them. You talk to them. Come on over for dinner. Tell me about your work. How are your kids doing? What, what do you think about? You don't have to blast them with Jesus right off. Get to know the way to think. I've just skimmed, read slash skimmed a book that I hijacked from Michelle Cavanaugh. It's going to the, to the library, but I saw it come in in the mail, and I said, I'm reading that. It's um, How to Engage with Atheists. It's fabulous. It's written by a Scottish pastor. It's simple. It's clear. He's got great questions to ask. I think we all should get it and read it anyway. But his, one of the points he makes is, the point I'm making, the way you know your neighbors think is, you ask them and you listen to them. You ask them, what do you think about this? You know, try to stay away from the hot, super controversial topics. Like, what do you think about Trump? Nancy Pelosi. Just, you, know, you might need to listen to that at some point, but just, you know. My mom used to say, every man is an island around which you can row and find a place to beach. She probably got it from somebody else. But that's, right? So keep rowing. Where are you going to beach? And oftentimes we, so hold on, Terry, one second. Oftentimes we talk about that in terms of felt needs. Oops, felt. One L. Felt needs. We want to, where they're itching, we want to be a person who can help scratch. Anyway, Terry? I was just saying, you mentioned about uh, politics, you know, we need to see ourselves as ambassadors for the king. We live in a foreign country. An ambassador in another country avoids or knows how to. I represent the king. You know, I'm not going to represent my personal preferences on political, economic views. So, I, will my statements on those topics affect 
my king and my kingdom. And so that's how. Yeah, good. And you know, if you can parlay someone's dislike of a certain figure into, and what is that? That tells me that what you really want in a figure is what? And ultimately, that true, perfect king is Jesus. So you ultimately want to begin to talk about Jesus. Okay? So Mike, that's different. Um, Matt? I think there's a, there's a different current where uh, it seems like... Current, you said? I'm sorry, current? There's a different current where uh, some of us will take more of a private view of our faith. And that, you know, missions and evangelism, those are gifts for certain people to be done in certain places. And we're going to go ahead and live our private lives with Christ. Does that passage that you cover say something different to that? What do you think? This well, passage. I mean, there's two answers. One is Paul's a very gifted man. He's called to be an apostle by God. And so he says these things. I, I feel very strongly that... Um, we're all missionaries where we live. It's not someplace else. It's where we are. That's where Christ is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there. Salt and light. If you spend time with Jesus, what is Jesus going to tell you to do? Love your wife. Love your kids. Love your neighbor. Is there a better way to love your neighbor than telling them about Jesus? <coughs> Nate? We just read how Paul says, imitate me. He's not talking about And you may not remember, but when I pre- preached through First Thessalonians, whenever it was, I don't, I don't. Why should you remember if I can't remember when I did? But I did. In chapter one, he says the gospel came to you not only in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit, so that you became imitators of us, and the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. So we have no need to share the gospel at all of Achaia. They saw Paul sharing the gospel. What did they do? They started sharing the gospel. So I think these are. I think I can wrap this up and say we're, we're of the same mind. Okay. Thank you. Good, good comments. Uh, let's, unless somebody wants to say more, let's go down to his self-discipline. Well, it's just the next few verses. So this is not easy, is it? This requires something. So somebody read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Thank you, Melissa. Good stuff. Observations? Paul didn't live in the day where everybody got participation. (laughs) (laughs) My grandson just got one. Basketball season ended Saturday, and he had his participation trophy in his mouth. Go ahead. That's right. So athletes are trying to get to the finish line. What's at the finish line for the Christian? This crown. Second Timothy, uh, Timothy 4, there is laid up for me 
the kind of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. And this, he is annexing this to evangelism. And so the athlete does what? I was telling, we were walking in the neighborhood the other day, and sometimes the temperature and the way it smells reminds me of high school track. I was a terrible runner. I only did it to stay in shape. And I absolutely hated it. Actually, right around the Beltway, when you cross the Potomac River, the second bridge you come first is GW Parkway. The second bridge is a bridge that goes into a neighborhood from my high school, Langley High School, down Georgetown Pike. We'd run across that bridge, and I hated it. I hated it, but I had to do it to stay in shape. Why am I telling you this? What do we need to do to stay in shape for our neighbors, for the gospel's sake? What do we need to do? Well, you're doing it. You're availing yourself of the means of grace, worship, sacrament, Sunday school, home group, praying and loving your kids, your wives, your friends, going to RUF, whatever. Any other observations about this? So confronting our fears, our sense of inadequacy, and I guarantee you in all those races, I only saw the back of your head. <laughs> Nate? In a way, this is a very chilling passage, because at the end it says, um, yeah. after I preach to others, I, I, myself, I don't want myself to be disqualified, which is yeah. so certainly possible that there are people that have shared the gospel with people, people have come to know Jesus as a result, but in their life, they're not running the way that they should. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they won't win the prize. Yeah. So it's, it should, there should be chillingness. Did you use the word chilling? Sober. Very sober. This is how Paul commends Timothy at the end of his life. He's passing the baton of his ministry. Be sober. Preach the word. Ready in, season and out. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come. When they do not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate to themselves teachers in accordance with their own desire, turn aside from the truth and believe myths. A lot at stake. Thank you, Nate. Let's do what, uh, another one, unless you want to make some comments. Paul's deepest sorrow. Let's go to Romans 9. <clears throat> so, to, to quick context. He's just finished the section we're going to be looking at, Romans 5 to 8. The end of eight is the Himalaya spiritual high. I mean, it's the most spiritual high you could get, right? God's at work in us. 
anything happens, happens for our good. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. in Christ Jesus. You can't get any higher than Romans 8. And you turn the page to 9, and it's like the bottom fell out. So somebody read there 9 through uh, the first five verses for us. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accused and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Thank you, Frank. So you couldn't get a more privileged people in the face of the earth, the Israelites. So what is Paul experiencing as he goes preaching around the Mediterranean basin? What's he experiencing? We always know he goes first where? And then to the tent maker's shop to get a job. Goes to the synagogue. What does he largely experience in those synagogues and from the hands of his countrymen? Rejection and persecution. They're stoning him, beating him, treating him really, really badly. Okay? So, to whom does the gospel first belong? The Jews. This is what he's going to tell us in Romans 1. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. In temporal order to the Jew first. Jesus is a Jew. He is a Jew. The gospel's for the Jews first. And he just sees this wholesale rejection of the gospel. And it breaks his heart. He pr- pr- pronounces Malediction on himself. I wish I could be accursed. Anathema. I don't think he's being, I think he is saying, if my countrymen could be saved, I'd go to hell for that. That's what he's saying. This is the love he has for his countrymen. It's a little different than where he is emotionally in 1 Thessalonians 2. We'll look at it as our last verse. But, so, okay, any, any observations or thoughts about this? the most privileged people in the world, humanly speaking, who should be converted first? Israelites. Any other observations? Did I run out of handouts? Sorry if I did. Alright, so this is the deepest sorrow of his life. Now he's writing Romans later in his life than 1 Thessalonians. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians Um. 2, 14 to 16, I've called his greatest frustration. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 to 16. Who would read that for us? Somebody who hasn't read yet. Sarah? We got, oh, thank you. We got Sarah. Go ahead. For you, brothers, and imitators of the churches, God Christ Jesus, there in Judea, for your suffering the same things from your countrymen as it is for the Jews. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of your sins, the wrath has come upon them at last. Okay, thank you. So what's his emotional demeanor here? What, what do you sense as he's writing this? That's a fact. 
That's a fact. Do you hear some satisfaction in that? Kind of? Is he, is he happy or frustrated? They keep hindering us from speaking the gospel. Is he happy or frustrated? He is not happy. And he's just come from... Uh, uh, they, they beat him in Philippi. He comes to Thessalonica. They, they, they persecute the believers there. And now he's writing back to the church. They're being persecuted by the Jews. And he's just... This is terrible. This is a judgment. So, the temple hasn't been destroyed yet. But that's the final death now. God's visible statement. And I'm, I'm done with that form of religion. I'm done. There's a new temple. He's building now the temple of the Holy Spirit, etc. Anyway, do you hear his frustration? Now, I hear something different years later in Romans. So I'm just wondering if there's been a change an evolution in his thinking, I, I'm just, you know, I can only speculate. But he's not happy at the end of First Thessalonians 2. Fair enough. Okay. Um, let's see. Where are we? We are down to the satisfaction. Well, let's stop and pray for, our, for ourselves and our witness to our neighbors and for our church and is there a pressing personal request we can pray for as body of God's people a pressing personal request okay I'm, Chad I'm going to pray for you because I know you struggle with some back issues it's uh, wonderful to see you here we see you more often, but for the pain you've been suffering. We know that. So can I pray for uh, continued healing for your, it's your back. Yes. Good. Um, so, so let's have a season of prayer. Some of you just uh, cry out to the Lord for the things that are on your heart and pray for our ability to engage our neighbors, for the witness of Wallace generally. And then, uh, Frank, if you'd start, then I'll close this and include praying for chat. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. Um, thank you, Lord, that you're resident here among us. Mm. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, turn our hearts to you. Help us, Lord, to cry out the same way that you did, to, that uh, your will was to do the will of him who sent you. Mm. Give us that same desire. Yes. Uh, help us, Lord, to, uh, to see our life as as an opportunity to serve you. Mm -hmm. Father, I imagine there are missionaries who feel just like Paul as they walk in sojourn in other lands. And Father, uh, they are bringing your truth and your love and they are persecuted and they are marginalized. Mm -hmm. Father, we lift them up to you.
Sarah Trump had around, but has a hard time engaging with her close friends on anything with her faith. And I want her to break through that with boldness and courage. Because she's sharing something that these girls sorely lack. Father, we ask for the uh, congregational discussion tonight that it would be profitable and fruitful, that, that you would be present among us, and that your will would come out, and that the uh, elders would hear um, where you are leading us as a church. Mm -hmm. yes. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to spend some time with Paul. We just know him better in his class. Lord, one thing that's been apparent is the heart that he has for his, um, his fellow countrymen and those who just uh, don't know um, you and who you are and his desire to share with them. We ask that you would help us to see our neighbors and family yes. primarily as those who either know you or those who don't know you and keep their uh, future in mind so as we interact with them you give us the wisdom and the opportunity to And Lord, in that uh, spirit, we bring to you silently one person on our line that we are frustrated with. It's their stubbornness to receiving you. Uh, it humanly frustrates us. It grieves us. So we're going to pray silently for their salvation right now. You would use us or some other instrument to open their eyes, give them a new heart, bring them to saving faith. That person we now tell you silently. And look for the harvest from you. Thank you for your servant, Chad. We're just so grateful that you brought he and his family to us for his labors at Andrews. We pray healing for his body, a complete restoration. It is indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that he's persevering in his work despite this pain, having to stand up all day to accomplish his work. Be pleased, Lord, great physician, to restore his body completely. Heal him. Give him favor with those he works with, for and whom. And uh, may his labors be fruitful. We thank you for this dear family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.